This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the structured settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, quite simply the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Aviva, Genworth Financial, The Hartford, Mass Mutual, MetLife, and Pacific Life and Annuity. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Welcome to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, head of Ringler Associates New England Operations, and we're glad you could join us again today. We're broadcasting remotely from the Ringler Associates annual meeting in beautiful Newport Beach, California, and I'm lucky to have a very special co-host joining me today. Her name will be familiar to many of you. Gail Kristen is a Ringler Associate responsible for our offices in Columbus and Cincinnati, Ohio. Welcome, Gail. Thank you, Larry. I hope you're enjoying this great weather out here. It is Fabulous. It is fabulous. You know, we're going to focus today on an, on the emotional aspect of settlement negotiations, and uh, obviously emotions can play a big role during any mediation. And if we think about it, you have people on opposite sides of a lawsuit, and some of who may be and usually are angry at each other. You have plaintiffs who may have been seriously injured. Some may have lost a loved one or a child. And on the other side, you have those who are defending these accusations brought in the lawsuit, and attorneys on both sides are doing everything they can to get the best possible result for clients. So it's easy to see how emotions can enter the picture. And, uh, Gail, you know, as settlement brokers, we've witnessed uh, these sorts of things in uh, almost every mediation we do. So can you share with our audience maybe an example or two of some that you've experienced personally? Sure. I'd like to share perhaps two. Um, one, sitting across the table... And there were the attorneys and a mother and father. They'd lost their son and the claim person. And she looked right across the table and looked in their eyes, and she said, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry you've lost your son. We can't, you know, we can't give him back. Um, all we have is, is money. And, but she talked, and she clearly evoked a level of sympathy and understanding that the discussion went from there. We talked, we asked them about their son. I mean, he was the topic instead of simply the amount of money or the anger. And really, the negotiation moved forward very, very, very well. Um, And at the end of the day, there were actually hugs exchanged. Another example would be a mediation where, as is often the case, a very high demand had been made and a very low offer. And the plaintiff attorney just became very, very, very irate, very, very, very angry, and actually removed his clients from the mediation. That was a very polarizing use of emotion, and uh, the settlement negotiations certainly did fail. Um, it may have been an intended use of an emotion, uh, emotion but it certainly wasn't effective in gaining the result of a settlement. Well, it's certainly called an emotional mm-hmm. tactic. Well, we want to bring in a, today and uh, at this time here on this show uh, one of the country's nationally known experts on this issue. Uh, joining us today is Professor Dan Shapiro. Uh, Dan has a very impressive resume. He's the associate director of the Harvard Negotiation Project at Harvard University. He's an author and been a frequent uh, guest on international radio and television. His book, Beyond Reason, that he co-authored with Roger Fisher, is a great read. And he also teaches uh, what else but negotiation at Harvard Law and in the psychology department of the Harvard Medical School. 
thanks for joining us, Dan, and uh, we could all use your expertise. That's <laughs> great to be here. <laughs> well, you know, you're from uh, the Boston area as I am, and uh, we're expecting a big snowstorm this weekend, so I hope uh, you've got your boots. I've been trying to negotiate a sooner airplane out of here. <laughs> as much as I don't want to. It's so beautiful here. <laughs> okay, great. Dan, how about a question? How big an impact do emotions have on any negotiation? You know, we often think of emotions in a negotiation as bad, but that's not necessarily so, is it? That's, that's totally right. People often think, I'm going to walk into this negotiation and I'm going to be purely rational, a purely rational, reasoned, logical human being. We can't get rid of emotions. I can, no longer, I, I can no more avoid emotions than I can avoid thoughts and thinking and dreaming at night. <laughs> emotions are with us all the time. So the question then becomes, how can I use emotions effectively so that I can get what I want, so that the clients can get what they want, so everybody walks away with maximal outcome possible? Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things we do, uh, Dan, is we, we go into mediations. And the reason we do that is because at those mediations, the actual plaintiffs are at the table. And... You know, most of these plaintiffs, I, I assume, don't want to face the other side at these bargaining tables, and uh, they, most of them want to leave it up to their lawyers. But at the mediation, you do get that plaintiff perspective, and you can go back and forth, and, and, and they can listen and, and also participate. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's, your, what's been your uh, you know, experience in that kind of a setting? Uh, the plaintiffs typically are, are allowed a lot more leeway, and the emotion really comes out. It works both ways. I, I think it, the important part is to think about that issue. You know, do we want everybody interacting together? How can we do so in the most effective way? Um, is, I know mediators who side on both sides of this question. Some people ha- keep everybody together in the room, and they will live and die by that approach. Others say, no, we need to do the caucusing. We need to have the parties separate in order to maintain the emotions. I, I remember watching a video from, of a very well-known negotiator and mediator from Chicago. And the video, it was, although it was a hypothetical situation, they were playing it out as if it were real. The mediator didn't know anything about uh, what was going to happen. He knew just as much as he would in real life. And the mediation was going fine. And then all of a sudden, the two businessmen on one side of the table started getting really upset. <laughs> and it was the moment that their emotions started to get very heated that this mediator then said, okay, I think it's time for a caucus now. <laughs> uh, and was that the right move to do? I don't know. I don't know. But it, I, the reason I'm convinced that he made that move is because he was uncomfortable with the emotions at the table. Uh, and at the very least, I would want the mediators, the structured settlement consultants, to be aware of what's going on emotionally at the table, not only with everybody else, but with themselves. Well, you know, it's, emotion is one thing, but, you know, when you get too heated, yeah. you know, we find, and I, I know Gail agrees, when, when it gets too heated, you can't really accomplish much. So I think the caucus oftentimes is a very helpful tool. I agree. You know, Dan, if you're a lawyer, how can you prepare your client for negotiations? I mean, what should they do before a meeting? How can the defense get ready? I mean, we're talking a lot about what happens at the mediation. What can be done in preparation so that the odds of a successful mediation, a settlement, and emotions being, you know, not controlled but understood? Uh, and who, who do you think has the stronger emotions, the plaintiff or the defendant? 
Well, to the first part of your question, how do you prepare? I think preparation is crucial. And my short answer, read our book. <laughs> no, there's a whole chapter on preparation. Uh, and basically what we suggest is that you are going to be a much more confident negotiator or mediator uh, if you walk into the negotiation prepared in three different ways. Prepared on the substance, so you know the details, the actual content details. You're prepared on the process. How are you going to talk about, what, about the issues? So you're thinking about the process. Should we start by talking about positions, or should we start by talking about our interests and theirs? And then the third element of preparation is thinking about the emotional side. And that's what Beyond Reason, our book, is largely about. It offers a very practical framework, a simple common-sense framework for anybody to deal more effectively with emotions without getting mired in the complexities of the emotions, of the emotions like that Chicago lawyer did. <laughs> exactly. You know, I had a mediation uh, one time that was uh, quite interesting. Uh, the plaintiff was a rape victim, fairly young, and uh, she became so incensed by the insensitive remarks made by the defense attorney. Um, I'm not sure they were intentional, but they were insensitive, uh, that she actually ran from the room uh, in tears and, and had to be coaxed back actually by... Uh, by my client, who happened to be a female, that went out and uh, brought her back in the room so we could continue. Mm -hmm. So if one side is being insensitive or rude, uh, you know, how do you handle that? And at the risk of you saying, read, read the book, you might have uh, something to, to give us there that, that could help us. Oh, absolutely. Well, first of all, I, I think we're still assuming what you suggested earlier, Gal, that emotions are always negative and they're these bad things and that we are at the mercy of emotions when this is a major fallacy. I, from the very start of a negotiation, can set the kind of tone that I want. Mm -hmm. And in Beyond Reason, what we do is we talk about five key ideas, five what we call core concerns. These are matters that are important to all of us. And from the moment that I meet you, uh, Larry or Gail, I can use these core concerns to set the kind of tone I want, a positive tone. And so you avoid many of the problematic emotions, or you make it less likely that some of these very challenging, difficult emotional situations happen. Why don't you go into those five? They seem to be the core of, of, of the basis of your, your whole thesis. Give, give, give us the core of those five arguments. Sure. So these are five matters that are important to all of us. Autonomy. We all like to feel some sense of freedom to make decisions. And if I were to take over control of this show, you both would feel that your autonomy was impinged. <laughs> right. Clients have that same need. So do the lawyers. So do your listeners, I'm sure. Appreciation. None of us wants to feel unappreciated, misheard, not understood, those kinds of things. Affiliation. We all want to feel like we are included, a part of things. So if, and I know this is common within uh, many mediation situations where one of the clients, it's the lawyers talking to one another. Mm. And the client is completely excluded from the conversation. Exactly. And 20 minutes later, 10 minutes later, they are running out of the room. Why? Because everyone in the room, uh, not everyone in the room was attentive to this core concern for affiliation. Uh, and in fact, um, there's research recently that suggests that the area of the brain that feels rejection is the same part of the brain that lights up when you feel pain. So the pain of rejection is pain. It's real pain, like being punched in the stomach. We've all felt it. <laughs> the fourth of our core concerns is status. Who's up? Who's down? 
uh, and on what dimension? You know, so um, it, are people looking at the client as a lowly victim, or are they looking at the client as someone courageous who's trying to move on with their life? Uh, and the fifth of our core concerns is role. As I'm walking into this mediation or negotiation, do I have a fulfilling role? Is what I'm doing in this interaction, is it fulfilling to me? Is it meaningful? Is there a purpose? And if there's not, my emotions aren't going to be involved. Uh, the good ones aren't going to be there. Yeah. Uh, and, and the basic idea is I can use each one of these core concerns to stimulate helpful emotions, to make it easier for us to all work together. And they're very powerful. Well, they sure are. Absolutely. Thank you. You know, both sides in a mediation have different settlement amounts or different goals in terms of what the settlement should be, what they would consider to be fair. Does the fact that money is being negotiated even fan the flames more when it involves an injury or a death? Money is certainly an important concern for all of us, (laughs) And, and certainly in this kind of situation. At the same time, money is often a proxy for something else. Uh, like you were saying, you know, it's often a proxy for, for um, the experience of pain. I, I think of uh, Larry or Gail, one of, one of your stories reminded me of uh, the story of a very good friend of mine named Denise, who, who she's a, a beautiful person. And in 1993, she, this was her third year of college, she went to the, uh, the doctor. She found a lump on, one, on her right breast. And uh, she went to the doctor. The doctor said, checked her up and said, don't worry about it. It'll go away. A year later, the, the lump is still there. It's the day before her graduation. Uh, and the doctor says the same thing again. Don't worry about it. It'll go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Denise's mother then became very concerned. They went to a, a surgeon the following day, graduation day. And when everyone else is getting their diplomas, Denise is discovering that she had stage four cancer. Uh, and what did she do next? She sued the doctor uh, and went to court and had to sit through court listening to expert witness after expert witness, witness talk about Denise as if she were simply, uh, you know, a, a, not, even, not even a body. An object. <laughs> and yeah. A total object. Yeah. Um, and Denise's parents were there. And imagine that. They're, they're, they're missing the human being. Denise did win this legal case. She won. It was a million-dollar settlement. Uh, and I asked her, you know, afterward, well, you know, why did you sue? What was going on? And she said, you know what? I did not care about the money at all. This doctor never apologized, never expressed any appreciation of my situation. You know, and I think, wow, think of all of the expenses that happened because people did not attend to this single core concern that we talk about. Uh, it, it would have saved Denise um, you know, a happy final five years of her life before she died at the age of 29. It would, have, it would have saved the doctor, I'm sure, much of her reputation, which is now completely damaged. It would have saved the insurance companies, everyone, the hospital, and so on. So, yes, money is important. But at the same time, we also have what we talk about in Beyond Reason, these core concerns that need to be met. And if they're not, yeah, it's not going to go well. You, you know, we found that uh, certainly in our culture, you know, money is the, the measuring stick. Uh, but in certain other cultures, as, as we all know, in certain Asian cultures, the apology is much more important than any, any money. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know. Well, let's take a quick break now. And when we come back, we'll have uh, a lot more with uh, Gail Kristen, Dan Shapiro. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
This is Ringler Radio, internet radio from Ringler Associates, placing more than $18 billion in structures over the last 30 years, and one of the few companies that truly enjoys the trust of all parties in the settlement process. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Experience counts. Over 130,000 cases structured. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Aviva, Genworth Financial, The Hartford, Mass Mutual, MetLife, and Pacific Life and Annuity. This is Ringler Radio. Internet radio from Ringler Associates. Quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years. Well, welcome back to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohn, your host. And joining me today is Ringler Associate Gail Christen from uh, Ohio. And hi, we are, Hi, and we're talking to our negotiations expert, Dan Shapiro from Harvard University. And Dan, uh, Dan's been uh, telling us about some of the most uh, amazing uh, negotiations that he's been involved in and consulted for. Uh, Dan, why don't you share with the audience an example of uh, one of the tough uh, negotiations you've consulted for recently? Does marriage count? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. No, there's been a number of them. Uh, It was a a few years ago, um, right after the Yugoslavian wars had come to an end. I'd, I'd been consulting off and on with people at multiple levels in that part of the world. I was invited to uh, train many of the Serbian parliamentarians in negotiation. And uh, it was challenging in a lot of ways. This was a 17-party coalition. This was people from, from 17 different parties trying to work together. You know, now, when I, I go out for lunch with six of my friends, we can't decide where to eat. Right. 17? <laughs> Bringing 17 parties together was you know, a, a, a bad idea to get, to, to get anything done. And one of the big issues, one of the things that made it very tough is that they had poor assumptions about effective negotiation. They, I remember doing an activity and at the end of it asking, well, what would you learn? And one of the young Serbian parliamentarians proudly raised his hand and said, I learned that we should deceive the other side before they deceive us. Great, great. <laughs> Good job. And I said, okay, we'll sit down. We have a lot to learn then. Uh, I mean, because I, one of the big points I hope to get across is that you get much more Everybody gets much more if you all can work together. Uh, and what are the skills that allow you to do so in tough negotiations? Very good. Dan, do men and women react differently, do you think, in mediations? I avoid that question. <laughs> Not because I don't have an opinion on it. Is, but it, because is I, it in the book, Dan? Do you? <laughs> can you tell us which page? Uh, well, I mean, I, I think no matter if you are male or female, your goals are the same in a negotiation. You know, going back to the five core concerns that we talk about in Beyond Reason, uh, one, whether you're male or female, in a negotiation, you want to build affiliation with the other side. You want to see it, the two of you working together. Male or female, if I impinge upon your autonomy and tell you what to do, you're not going to like it. If I demean your status, that's a problem as well. I mean, I think that's one area where people who are the minority in any group, whatever the minority, whether it's gender, race, religion, uh, they can feel demeaned in status simply because of uh, not being the most prominent visible group. So um, the, the goal is the same. The purpose is the same. How do we work together, um, whether we're male or female? That was a good answer. 
You, you know, one of, one of the things we find is, and I'm sure you find it in other disciplines as well that you deal with, is, you know, the emotions get in the way of, of reason and, and, and solving problems. And I think of some of the, the issues you've raised today and examples, I think what it comes down to is people want to feel that they're respected, that they, that they matter, that they're worth something. And, and when they go into these uh, mediations, for example, in our scenario, like you mentioned, they want someone to maybe apologize that, or, or recognize that they exist or they had a problem rather than just be talking about money back and forth. So how do you deal with, with, with that basic human need to be respected as you move into these mediations and, and, uh, and discussions? Right. Well, I, I think it's important to first realize that we all have these needs. Uh, and when things get tough, yeah, one's own needs become the salient needs, and that's and, and we want. I want the appreciation at this moment. Why aren't you appreciating me? And that's the precise moment when the other side is thinking the same thing. So if I can conscious, if I can use my reasoning mind to help with the emotional situation, that can help. So at the moments when I feel the most tension with my wife, for example, that's the moment when my mind starts to say, Dan, don't forget to appreciate her. <laughs> and do that now. Well, if you need us to help uh, negotiate that, <laughs> just call us. Yeah. Um, no, it, it reminded me of one other thing as well. The, I, we, we worked with um, some high-level negotiators from China, and they were coming to do to some work with negotiators in the United States. When they came over, we, we were curious how they prepared, which I think is a big part of dealing with emotions. Sure. And what they did, they said, well, we spent a week thinking uh, un- trying to understand uh, the negotiation. I said, oh, so you're trying to understand how Americans negotiate. And they said, no, we're trying to understand more about how we negotiate, the self-awareness, the self-understanding, which, and that's, you know, I think, a huge essence as well of dealing with emotions. Tremendous. Thank you. Okay, how, how big a, a part of the mediations or negotiations are effectively a manipulation of emotions instead of an honest expression of emotion. It can work either way. So these same five core concerns that we've been talking about, let's take affiliation. So this is, affiliation is the emotional connection between the two of us. Uh, and, And so lovers have close affiliation. They feel part of the family. Uh, when I went to the car dealer just a couple weeks ago, I knew that he was trying to manipulate me in terms of affiliation. Oh, you have a, you have a, you have a five-month-old child. I have five kids. Wow, what's it like with those kids? You know, there was some element of sincerity, but at the same time, I was cautious. And I was able to prevent myself from being manipulated because I was thinking about these core concerns, recognizing that they could be used for manipulative purposes. Did you buy the car? I did. Oh, and got a very good deal, actually. We're yeah. very proud. Well, that's a good <laughs> sign. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, we've run out of time for the broadcast. I would like to thank you, Dan, for, uh, for really being fantastic here on the show. Uh, Dan's, again, from the Harvard Negotiation Project. And, Dan, uh, I know you've written Beyond Reason, and I'm assuming you can buy it on Amazon.com and, and the other various... Uh, Websites. That's absolutely right. <laughs> Is there a website that you can get more information from you directly? Yes, it's www.beyond-reason.net. Beyond-reason.net. Terrific. I'd also like to thank you, Gail, for uh, being here with us. You're welcome, and thank you both. And thank you. Fine. Both. And one more reminder to our audience, you can find all the Ringler Radio shows on our website at ringlerassociates.com or thelegaltalknetwork.com. Once again, I'm Larry Cohn from Ringler's Boston office. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.
Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. Ringler Associates, experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Aviva, Genworth Financial, The Hartford, Mass Mutual, MetLife, and Pacific Life and Annuities.